Are you tired of hearing people complain about the world and ready to own the responsibility to make the world a better place? Hey, my name is Brent Simpson and welcome to this episode of Creating the Future. I believe that within each of us is a yearning to make the world a better place. So let's work together and make that desire a reality. My hope is that today's conversation inspires you as you endeavor to create the future. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Creating the Future. And I am so excited to be coming to you today because we get to talk to Dr. Michael Brown, who is absolutely a wealth of information and wisdom and understanding, especially during chaotic times like we are in right now. And he is writing a book about this, and so he's going to talk a little bit about that book. And uh, and I think you are going to be blessed and just enjoy this conversation we're about to have. So without further ado, let's jump right into this conversation with Dr. Michael Brown. All right, let's do it. Yeah, so I'm super excited to have Dr. Michael Brown, uh, your voice of uh, all kinds of amazing things he always talks about in his radio show. What, how, do, how do you say it? What do you say? Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. That's, that's how I get announced. Uh, I'll also refer to myself as your voice of moral sanity and spiritual clarity in the midst of a society in chaos and a church all too often in compromise, which I don't really have to explain much these days. Yeah, yeah. No, that's so good. I mean, the world is in a lot of turmoil and we need some people to bring clarity to that. I was uh, hearing a, it was a general during Afghanistan. I think it was on a leadership podcast I was listening to. And he said, in the midst of crisis, you need a whole lot of communication and a whole lot of clarity. Mm. People to bring clarity during crisis. Yeah. Listen, I feel bad that people are hurting right now. I feel bad that they're suffering and pain and a lot of uncertainty. But for me, this is how I live all the time. I live with that sense of urgency. I live with that burden to, to bring clarity, bring gospel messages, bring truth. So uh, the only thing different right now is, is I'm not traveling. Uh, right. This is the least travel I've done in, in as long as I can remember, decades. And in fact, as we get on to do the Zoom, I realize that I've got a, I've got a two-day beard on me also. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, you're looking good. You're looking good. <laughs> All right, so you are writing a book that comes out on April 15th called When the World Stops, Words of Faith, Hope, and Wisdom in the Midst of Crisis. Obviously, that's a very timely book, and, and I think you, you jumped into what's happening in order to speak some, some clarity in the middle of things. Uh, how did that book start to come about? Well, I, I believe it was March 2nd, so a little over a month ago, I wrote my first article on the virus I was watching the news like everyone else, listening, wondering how serious this would be. And, and when it started to, to become clear that this is going to be very serious, the first thing I wanted to say was that this is not the end of the world. Right. This is not one of the plagues from, from the book of Revelation. It's, it's definitely a time of shaking, but it's not the end of the world. And then I ended up preaching at my home church on a Sunday morning. The pastor asked me to speak and then... Uh, doing some Zoom messages and writing more articles. And I thought, you know, there's a lot in me. Maybe I could get something written very quickly and published very quickly. So March 18th, I reached out to my main publisher, uh, Charisma Media, to a couple of the editors. I said, this may sound like a crazy idea, but if I could write a book immediately, how quickly could we get it out? 
yeah. first is an ebook, you know, print on demand, whatever, just get it out immediately. And the editors wrote back, they said, we were thinking the very same thing. This is, you know, this is definitely something we want to do. So basically eight days later, I had finished the book. Wow. Uh, again, uh, didn't have to travel. I would have been on my way to Lagos, Nigeria. So I was home and spent whatever time I could, as long as I felt moved on and stirred by the Lord to write this book. Maybe it'll be about 150 pages. And then immediately got it over to Charisma. And their editors have been working on it and then uh, the, uh, coming up with the title, cover design and all that. And actually, um, the release is just pushed back a few days. It'll be slightly after April 15th, but I think it'll be listed on Amazon uh, this week. So uh, any day it should be listed when the world stops words of faith, hope, and wisdom in the midst of crisis. And the goal in writing it was to make it absolutely relevant today. So anyone who gets it, it'll speak directly to our situation to give hope, to give strength, to give wisdom. But not only so, even in the naming of the book, the goal is that a year from now or five years from now, it'll be relevant, that it will continue to minister to God's people as we live in this world, often in very uncertain times. Right. And I think this is your ministry in general. So you're uniquely set up in a moment like this to be able to write quickly because it's all internalized over, you know, many, many, many years of ministry and focusing on different crises and things happening in our world. And so it really just comes out of you faster than it might for a lot of other people. Yeah. And listen, we all have certain gifts and strengths. There are tons of things I can't do or that I do very poorly or that I totally depend on someone else to do, right. you know, and, and something that someone else, you know, they eat it for breakfast. For me, that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. Right. And something else that seems overwhelming and impossible for them, for me, it's like, come on, let's do this. But this is one of those things I, I felt it was so important to communicate with God's people. And, and I've been looking to do it almost every opportunity I can, extra live streams, extra videos, extra messages, extra articles, to put out as much as we can to, to really minister a message that starts with saying, don't fear, don't panic. Right. You know, as God's people, there's never a place for panic. Right. There's never a reason for it. Even if you've got a Category 5 hurricane coming your way and there's no time to evacuate, if you know that God is with you, you don't panic. Right. And, and that's where we start in the book, Fear Not, that message of Scripture. And Psalm 46 is so extraordinary. You know, it's telling us that even if the mountains are cast into the sea, I mean, the whole world is shaking beyond anything we've ever seen. We won't fear because God is with us. So that's where everything starts. This is definitely a, a, a serious time. And without the extraordinary measures we're taking around the world, there could be probably hundreds of thousands of, of deaths by now or in the days ahead. But this is, this is not the end of the world. And, and whatever comes our way, difficult times, challenging times in the days ahead, God being with us is all we need to know. Right. Jesus being in the boat with his disciples seemed to have forgotten about them. He was asleep in a storm, but everything was under control because Jesus was there. Yeah, I love that. So, so you're a true uh, theologian, and uh, one of your chapters that you just alluded to is chapter three. Uh, this is not the end of the world. And uh, we live in a time where a lot of people always, every time something happens, it doesn't matter what it is, Y2K, H1N1, whatever it is, they're always acting like this is the end of the world. How can you uh, say in your book like this, you know, emphasize that this is not the end of the world? 
Well, one thing is it wasn't the end of the world when the Spanish flu hit in 1918. It wasn't the end of the world with Y2K. It wasn't the end of the world with the Black Plague in the Middle Ages. It wasn't the end of the world when the tsunami killed several hundred thousand people in a moment of time. Uh, what was that in the, in the early 2000s? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the fact is there's always been tragedy crisis. There have been plagues. There have been all kinds of things. And when Jesus is talking in Matthew 24 with parallels in Mark 13 and Luke 21, he says, you know, you'll hear of earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars. Luke 21 says pestilence, but the end is not yet. Right. So as I've read scripture, as we come closer to the end of the age, the moving of God is going to be so much greater than anything we've ever seen. The counter attacks of the enemy so much greater than anything we've ever seen. The whole turmoil over the whole world is going to be so much greater than anything we've ever seen with God moving in the midst of it, yeah. that number one, this did not line up to that. Uh, as, as far as I can tell, if there were plagues from the book of Revelation literally being poured out on the earth, quarantine wouldn't help. There'd be no hope of a vaccination or a cure. That's one thing. The other thing was just in my own heart, my own sense is that there's work yet to be done that God has not yet sounded that final alarm and said, you have seconds and it's over. So one thing was scriptural interpretation. The other thing was just relationship with God, believing that his sheep will hear his voice and that he'll let us know if it's really that time. Yeah, that, that's so good. I'm a big believer that if we listen to God's voice in the middle of earth and not just every news channel, I really think God's up to something. And I think there's some beauty that comes, comes out of this, even in the midst of heartache and a lot of tragedy. All right, so uh, very practical conversation. So number five, uh, fifth chapter, I should say, in your book, uh, asked this question, should we submit to the government's guidelines? And that's right. the virtual one in general. Uh, so right. Talk about that. So uh, again, when, when the book comes out, when the world stops, I've got a whole chapter on that. Right now, if you go to my Facebook page, Ask Dr. Brown, look for last night's live stream yeah. where I talked about this and took questions for over an hour. And then my latest article, which is on stream.org, uh, gets into this in some length. So, so even before the book comes out, we've got a bunch of resources out. Okay, we recognize that the general pattern is Romans 13, we submit to governing authorities. Right. We also recognize that there are times, like Acts 5, we obey God rather than man. We're never rebellious. We never, by our own self-will and stubbornness, say no, but rather we submit to the higher authority. It would be like the babysitter left you with instructions, but then mommy and daddy call and you listen to mommy and daddy more than the babysitter. So is that a situation like this now? Are our fundamental rights being restricted? There are some cases of government overreach. New York City Mayor de Blasio threatening to close all synagogues and church buildings permanently, permanently, if they defy the ban to meet. He has no authority to do that, and there should be a verbal pushback against that. What about what happened in Greensboro, North Carolina? Governor Cooper of North Carolina has said that abortion clinics provide essential services, believe it or not. They provide essential services, and therefore they will remain open. So uh, prayer, pro-life advocates with Love Life gathered together. I shouldn't say gathered together. Several of them with their attorney uh, went in, in front of the abortion clinic, spoke with local police, uh, did exactly what the law requires. In other words, social distancing, they were allowed to be on the sidewalk, etc. By by the statute, they were arrested. That's wrong. That should be opposed. So when there's government overreach, 
and we can comply with safety guidelines at a time like this. That's one thing. Now, that would be the argument with, with Pastor Rodney Howard Brown, that there was an inconsistent application of the law, that the governor's edict had 42 paragraphs of exceptions of who could meet but not churches. Uh, so he went through these extravagant measures, invested $100,000 in air purifying system, hand sanitizer for everyone coming in, you know, social distancing and all of that, and, and felt that he was keeping everyone safe but challenging an unjust law. Liberty Council stood with him. The governor then reversed things, uh, rescinded the arrest and all of that. I appreciate what he did. I appreciate why he did it. But in point of fact, your average congregation is not going to be able to spend $100,000 on air purifiers. And what if everybody shows up? If you have, say, your church, you've got a full house, multiple services and things. So where are you going to put people? You're going to have to restrict people. But the biggest thing to me is, is I personally feel that even though there may be government overreach in a case like that, and, and that was challenged, that there, there's a higher law. Some say, yeah, yeah, but the, the government's trying to tyrannize us now. And, and this is the very reason we have our freedoms and our Constitution, our Bill of Rights. First, I don't believe with Donald Trump as president that he's trying to tyrannize us. He's very much a freedom-loving guy. And he very much is standing for our religious rights and wants churches and businesses open again and things like that. But here's the big thing. Proverbs 22.3 says that the shrewd man sees danger and hides himself. The naive runs straight ahead and pays the penalty. That we don't know if someone's infected or not. This is invisible to the naked eye and many times asymptomatic. So you may have the virus and infect 20 people and never get sick with it yourself. So to me, the law of love is what prevails here. Wisdom and the law of love, which is, this is a good thing for us to be doing for the good of our people and our neighborhoods and for the good of our witness. Uh, there was a church in Washington State. They had choir practice as usual, March 9th, uh, less than a month later, uh, what, about three weeks later, scores of people with the virus, at least two dead. Uh, I know of people that have gone to minister, said, hey, people are going to be out partying. If they're partying, we're going to go minister, even though they knew the virus is around. Tried to use wisdom and all that. I, I know one man, preacher of the gospel, missionary, strong man of God, he's dead now. And we, we, you know, we may say, well, I have enough faith that that wouldn't happen. Have you caught a cold in the last year? Have any of your kids caught a cold? You know, when you pray for people with cancer, you have a hundred percent success rate. Let, let's be realistic and use wisdom. And, you know, like I've said for weeks now, if, if your kid has chicken pox, you keep your kid home. Right. You don't bring them there and infect others. Well, this time we don't know. And we're not acting in fear. We're, we're acting in wisdom and concern for others. And those who say, yeah, but the gov government's going to take away our rights. Maybe they're acting in fear. Yeah. So I appreciate uh, someone like Rodney Howard Brown who differed and, and went out of his way to provide uh, safe haven for people. Uh, I believe churches should be open to provide essential services like feeding programs and things like that where they're, where they're serving the community. But our public gatherings, we should joyfully restrict right now, also recognizing the church is not a building. And let's grab hold of this time to find more creative ways to be the church in our own communities. Right. Well, that, that leads to a great question. So what is church if it's not a gathering? Because that's the way most people, especially in the United States at least, see it. What is church? And, and so how do we do it in the middle of this? Yeah, well, when we recognize that, that we're a body, that we're a family, 
the gathering is wonderful. I, I love corporate gatherings. I love the energy of the worship. I love the way the spirit moves. I love being able to preach to thousands of people at the same time. I, I love that. I've been doing that for decades and, and hope to do it the rest of my life. But we are fundamentally a family and a living organism, a body where each part of the body plays a role. And, and this is something we can really recover now, recognizing that the church is a body and therefore functioning as a body and, and looking to see that every member is healthy so that let everyone take more responsibility to care for their neighbor now. Let everyone realize that they have a role to play, that, that it's, it's not celebrity Christianity or concert hall Christianity, that yes, our gatherings are important, but much more important is being the church through yeah. the rest of the week. So I think it's a great time for us to really pray about this. What can we do constructively when we can't gather in a building? Because you know that uh, all around the world to this day and through church history, there's often been tremendous growth and people have only been able to gather underground, so to say, you know, in, in private and hiding in small groups. So now uh, everyone's a witness. Yeah. Everyone's a prayer warrior. Every, everyone's a, a vital part of the body. Whereas I might just think I come and hear this great team sing and I come and hear this great guy preach and I'm kind of the audience so this should help us hopefully get out of the audience mentality. And my hope is when things get back to normal, that we as the church just don't go back to normal fully, right. that we right. use our buildings, use what we can, but that we learn from this and that we're better than we were before. Yeah, yeah. Alan Hirsch talks about uh, all Christians have a missional DNA inside of them. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but basically talking about if pushed, you know, every Christian has apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. It's all inside of them. And when that is pushed and needs to come out, you find that you can do things you didn't know you could do. So you can be an evangelist in a moment. You never knew you could be an evangelist, but you find out you can when you need to be. And, uh, and I love the way he describes it there. And, uh, and I think in a moment like this, it's an opportunity for the church to, to be commissioned and go out of four walls. We've seen some really neat things in our church where, uh, people have done care packs for their neighbors and, and given away with little cards saying, hey, let me know how I can pray for you, sending texts to their neighbors. One of the coolest is uh, we've had somebody that did church in the cul-de-sac where every all their neighbors came out and sat in their own driveways and they set up their own little sound system. They did worship and wow. a particular person has an amazing testimony of, of uh, having cancer and coming out of that. So he shared his testimony, had an altar call. People got saved. You, know, you can't go lay hands on them, uh, but literally in the cul-de-sac of their neighborhood. And so it's a a creative ministry to happen. And, and I'm, I'm a big believer that, that the gospel thrives during hard times. You saw that in the early church, uh, you know, where the, we went from 120 in an upper room to, you know, 20 million, they estimate by 310 when Constantine makes Christianity legal. Uh, you saw that in Mao, uh, with Mao in China. Uh, you know, when he took power and he kicks out all the professional Christians, so to speak, those who have gone to Bible college, the missionaries, and, uh, and literally kills the leaders of the church. Uh, and when they came back in in the 80s and they expected the church to be, you know, dead or, or hurting severely, uh, they came back in and found that the church had grown incredibly and, and great things had happened there. So I'm a big believer that, that during hard times, the church actually grows. We were made for that. And, and that's something you talk about in your book. So, so just share your thoughts on that. We were, we were made for hard times. Yes. And, and there is a, a chapter in the book as well, uh, what is church and how do we do it? Yeah. So first, amen to everything you said, and, and I, I thoroughly uh, appreciate uh, that testimony that you just shared. Yeah. But just speaking for myself, 
it hasn't dawned on me at any point in this to be afraid of getting sick or to be afraid of dying. I had a trip to Australia right before travel was shut down. And I had to go, uh, because of flights being canceled by one airline, I had to go through Hong Kong. And I spent, I don't know, probably 10 hours in the Hong Kong airport between uh, going and coming. And almost everybody there with masks on and the tension already rising and that sense of it. So, you know, I was in places that were already getting hit. And it never dawned on me to be afraid. I was careful. I tried to abide by whatever guidelines were being given at that point. But it didn't strike me oh no, I, I might get, oh, what's going to happen? Because I'm a child of God and have a relationship with him. And sometimes we forget that the world is in a panic right now, right. that people are scared. Yeah. And I'm not faulting them. I'm, I'm not criticizing them. Some of them are fighting for the life of a loved one right now, you know, sending us urgent, you know, could you please pray? Thus and such is going on. Uh, so I'm not faulting anyone for being afraid, but we have a message we have eternal life. Right. We know God. Our sins are forgiven. We, we don't fear death. It's, it's a passing into a more glorious relationship with God. And, and we're, we're ready to care. So many churches have been thinking about how they do it all the time, feeding people in the community, helping programs to help people get free from addictions. Was the, the church is always thinking, what can we do to help people? Right. What can we do to serve people? What can we do to make a difference? So this is our moment. This is, this is a perfect moment to be who we are and to arise and shine. And it's interesting, as much criticism as there is, you know, the church is bigoted and the church hates gays and the church has primitive views of God and the church is anti-science. When the church loves people and shines and brings Jesus to people, that people are quick to throw away their preconceptions and say, wow, I misjudged you. You really, you really are loving people. Let that testimony come forth. And as we're willing to sacrifice for others, we're thinking more about the good of others and our own goods. That, that makes a difference. Yeah, yeah. And I love that because this is a moment that we need to seize. And I know you have a chapter in your book talking about that. In my opinion, uh, this is a moment where the church gets to shine. You know, when hard times come, when the darkest it is, right, we should be the light in the middle. Of yes, it. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right, so if people want to learn more about your ministry uh, that don't know about your ministry or they want to get the book, how do they do that? So they go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. Uh, first thing you do is sign up for emails. When you do that, you get a free mini book, Seven Secrets of the Real Messiah. So a free ebook you'll get immediately. But then every week we're putting out only about five new articles a week, op-ed pieces, our daily radio show, The Line of Fire and then numerous other videos. So tons of free resources for you. And the book, When the World Stops, uh, should be available for purchase any day. So if you just check on Amazon, or like I said, if you go to askdrbrown.org and then just sign up for emails, then as soon as something's available, we'll let you know and you can spread the word to others. Yeah, can they, can they order it from your website as well? Or is it just- Yeah, they'll, they'll be able to. Yeah, absolutely. But there may be- uh, I'll be talking with the publisher the next day or two to see if we'll make some special offer with the print book and the ebook. you know, just something to be more of a blessing to people at this time. So we'll, we'll be finding out about that. But as soon as something's official, we will let everybody know. Yeah. I just know Amazon is way behind on shipping right now. So you order it now, it might be six weeks before you get it because, because there's, you know, they're shipping necessities right at first. Well, yeah. Well, the good, the good news is that the ebook will definitely be out by the, uh, by the 21st, if not earlier. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, stay with me for just a second, but for everybody else who's watching or listening, I just want to say thank you to Dr. Brown, who's, who's uh, both a uh, real gift to the church at large and also just a gift to me and a blessing to my life and somebody who can sp- consistently speaks wisdom, uh, both through his podcast and then sometimes texts and phone calls and such as well. So thank you, Dr. Brown, for your time. My joy. and I'm thrilled to see what God's doing in you and your congregation. And thank you for writing this book. I know it's going to be a blessing to so many, especially right now. I hope you enjoyed this conversation today, and I especially hope it added value to you. If you enjoyed it, would you do me a favor and give us a five-star rating on your podcast provider? It really helps to get the word out. And of course, if you share this content with your friends, that would be great too. And until next time, I hope you continue creating a better future. I look forward to being with you again soon.